Hey guys, and welcome to The One Up Project. We're simplifying all things finance and lifestyle in a relaxed environment. It's all just a bit of fun, so be sure to keep listening and let the content be a catalyst for your own self-improvement. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. I'm back again with Toby Pascoe. Check back on our previous episode with Toby for a little bit about himself and like why I've brought him on to the podcast. Otherwise, I'm keen to just get straight into it and discuss probably some of the more popular questions that people might have around property. So this is a very exciting topic, um, sort of renting versus first home versus investment property in a, in a one-on-one um, on property, which is exciting. So Toby, how are you, first of all? Good, good. How are you? <laughs> Glad to hear it. No, I'm very well, thank you. That's good. Um, so why do New Zealanders especially feel so much pressure to buy their first home ASAP? I feel like I see this everywhere. Yeah, it's it's a massive thing at the moment. I think it's ingrained in us that uh, owning our own home in New Zealand is the Kiwi dream. You know, um, the Kiwi dream is own your own home, build a family, etc. Go from there. But actually, you know, having uh, I guess experiences, um, enjoying company, friends, travelling, uh, and then coming back to a beautiful country that we live in. And I, I really do mean that a beautiful country. Uh, I think that's probably the Kiwi dream. And owning a home can be on the side of that if that's what you want. You know, it's been driven into us probably especially at the moment as housing is a a really big topic that um, the Kiwi dream of owning a home is actually dying. Well, uh, back in, you know, 100 years ago in 1920, uh, 59% of Kiwis owned their own home. That's now about 64%. Um, that's, That's fallen away a little bit over the last sort of 10 years. Uh, but I certainly don't think that um, you know owning your own home is is dead. The affordability of owning your own home has actually remained sort of around thirty to about thirty five percent of your household income. So if you took a typical family, uh, the cost of actually servicing a mortgage hasn't actually. Uh, increased or decreased; it's sort of stayed relative, uh, and that's mainly down to the likes of interest rates um, dropping. But you know, there's there's probably a lot of FOMO at the moment or fear of missing out, and we we keep hearing that word, especially with investors. But it's also first home buyers, and I think some first home buyers and investors as, as well are, are scrambling to get on the ladder because all they see is the ladder going up and up and up all the time, and you know, at some point that that ladder will stop going up, it will level off. There may be, you know, a few little drops I've sort of heard in the market at the moment that um, the the auctions, there's not as many people in auctions, valuers aren't valuing as much. So we might just see over this winter a little bit of a pullback in the market or just a levelling off, which would probably be a good thing just to allow New Zealanders to breathe a little bit when it comes to housing because at the moment we're just being bombarded with it. Um, the, the other thing people have got to think about is with a mortgage, servicing the mortgage compared to your household income has remained about the same, but it's the deposits that's getting people. Uh, I don't know if um, you know you know many people that are saving for a home, but you, you're continuously chasing the game. Um, you're in the rat race trying to save a deposit. But it's important to remember that with deposits, you've had the likes of KiwiSaver come in in the last 15 years. You've got the first home grant, which someone could get up to $20,000 if they wanted to, if they were in a couple in the relationship. And then you've got 
uh, the likes of the Welcome Home Loan as well, which is 5 to 10% deposits. So it's not unachievable and you know, it just it takes a bit of sacrifice, I guess, uh, to get the deposit. But once you've got the deposit, you're in a fantastic position uh, to jump into that mortgage and have relatively comfortable servicing because a bank is not going to put you in a position where you can't service your mortgage. And, and that's really important for people to remember as well. Mm, yeah. And for those of us, I, I suppose, that do feel that pressure um, and are renting, is there anything actually wrong with renting for longer? No, absolutely not. Like I was reading, um, I think you and I were talking about this a few weeks ago. I was reading an article about uh, Elon Musk. So, uh, the CEO of Tesla, and and he he owned a whole lot of property, and in the last twelve months, he's actually sold most of his property off, and he was actually talking about him and his family renting. So there's a major CEO, you know, not needing to necessarily live in their own home. And I know a lot of successful investors who actually still rent, and they're thirty, mm. forty, fifty years old. Owning your own home is is great and if you want to go down that path but it's not absolutely necessary in life as soon as you own your own home you are going to have rates insurance and everything else you know maintenance and pressure that comes with owning a home so there's nothing wrong with renting actually a couple of weeks ago I was reading an article on stuff uh, and they were interviewing interviewing a young man who was struggling to afford his first home uh, that man was 23. <laughs> so I think there's this expectation that, you know, you finish school, um, most will go to university or do a trade, and then the next thing in life, well, I've got to own a home, then I've got to get married, yeah. then I've got to have children, and, you know, the the wheel just keeps going round. Um, but there's absolutely nothing, nothing wrong with renting. And uh, the cost of renting at the moment, if, if interest rates go up which they're likely to at some point over the next probably three to five years uh, the cost of renting will not change generally relative to the cost of interest rates so investors will not general landlords will generally not move rent with interest rates as much as what a person who owns their own home and is paying a mortgage would be affected by so renting right. at the moment, it seems like owning your own home is cheaper than renting, but that will probably shift over the mm. over the medium term and, and owning your own home will be a little bit more expensive probably than renting. Yeah, because on that, are there any, and you might have touched on a few there, but what are the specific benefits to renting longer, if any? Yeah, I, in terms I can speak, I guess, from a personal point of view, I, I certainly don't have regrets about owning a home early. Uh, that's that's yeah. the route I wanted to go, or we wanted to go down and understood that by owning a home, we could then look to invest at some point. Um, people people have to remember that when you purchase a home, you're, you know, as I said before, you're purchasing the rates, you're purchasing the insurance, the maintenance, let alone the mortgage. Uh, with renting, you've got your rental payments and, and that is that's it. all it is. It's, you know, income into the bank, rental payments out, that's it. And as long as you look after the rental and there's a mutual respect between the landlord and the and you being the tenant, then everything's going to be hunky-dory. And if you're a good tenant, a landlord will generally try to hold on to you for longer. There's this, uh, this thing out in the media at the moment that all landlords are monsters. Uh, <laughs> for me personally, if I've got a good tenant, I won't, won't raise the rent uh, by a large amount because I want to hold on to that tenant and there's that mutual respect that goes both ways. Um, 
young young New Zealanders, and I, I put myself in this category, we, we haven't really experienced interest rates going up. Uh, if you look back from about 2008, they've just been on a downward trend the whole time. And there's a lot of young Kiwis um, like us who have bought into the housing market but have not experienced the interest rates going the other way. And that certainly is going to bite some people uh, in the next sort of, as I say, three to five years, but even even longer term. If you look at someone who might be, say, 30 years old, couple uh, own a million-dollar house in Auckland with a mortgage of 700000 if there's a 1% shift in the interest rates, then they will have an extra $7,000, um, you know, per year straight away, uh, let alone a 2 or 3% interest um, change. Mm, yeah. So I guess a benefit of renting is that you're not going to be immediately exposed to that $7,000 increase straight away if you're renting because the, for the landlord to change the rent by seven or $10,000 a year, it's a considerable rent change and that is not likely um, for them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And with all the talk around purchasing your first home, getting into your first home, there's also a lot of talk around investment property. And so why is purchasing an investment property first not often spoken about? I feel like it's the the order that people will say is, you know, you get into your first home and then you start investing in property. Yeah, it's that, it's that life order that we, we keep coming back to. I've got a really interesting phone, uh, so photo on my phone that I keep uh, in my favourites uh, of this uh, conveyor belt going round and there's little children uh, jumping onto the conveyor belt at the start of it and then they're popping out the other end as retirees and basically being sent towards the graveyard. It's quite, it's quite a, um, a blanket way of looking at life, but basically it has, you know, like I said, school, university, job, home, family, investing, mm. retiring, and then coming to the end yeah. of your life. It doesn't need to be like that. And there's probably a belief that you have to own your own home first to invest. Um, and, you know, the fact that you can use a KiwiSaver on a home, you have to live in it for six months, um, but you can use the KiwiSaver for your home and and use that to buy it. So it's a people see it as a little bit easier than buying an investment property straight away. Um, but you certainly don't need to own your own home to purchase an investment property. It can be easier because you will have equity that may have been built up in your own home that you're able to help to use to put towards a deposit on an investment property. But there's nothing stopping people from taking their first deposit and actually buying an investment property and continuing to rent themselves or living with family or even better, buy an investment property, go and travel, you know, and get away from New Zealand. And in the, in the meantime, that investment property uh, is ticking over in the background. And, uh, you know, people will, will see now that you need a 40% deposit on an investment property, which let's say you are aiming for a $500,000 investment property, that, that's quite a bit of money, obviously. Mm. Uh, and, and that's true, but that's for an existing investment property. And this is something that doesn't get um, probably displayed in the news enough is that you can actually have a 20% deposit for a new build investment property. And a lot of investors anecdotally uh, are, are switching towards heading down towards new builds. And, and that has a lot of benefits for New Zealand as a whole. At the moment, we've got a construction boom that is, is starting to really pick up. And, and that is mainly down to the likes of new build investment properties, um, which has 
going to flow back to helping first-time buyers as well because more supply is going to be coming into the market um, for them as well. Yeah. Do you think that there's a right way of doing things? Like, are there any benefits to, say, purchasing an investment property before your first home? Well, the rent obviously covers all the expenses we talked about before. So um, you you usually will be aiming for a cost-neutral investment property or neutrally geared is what we'd call it. So positively geared or neutrally geared. Sometimes that will be negatively geared. And what I mean by that is the expenses outweigh the income. Um, so it makes a small loss. Um, but at the moment, most expenses in most investment properties uh, are covered by the income just because of low interest rates. Um, I guess the other other benefits we, we talked about last time, providing a home for someone, providing a home potentially for a family, for a working couple that are focusing on their career, uh, for someone who's in uh, deprivation and, and needs a home or perhaps has been struggling to get a home simply because of um, their history or their income. Um, and, you know, aside from that, you're still on the property ladder. So you're on that ladder you're starting to climb it and, um, you know, you're beginning the journey of wealth, of wealth building, which is obviously really important. You know, we talked about last time with retirement and, and what you want to do in your life. If you're young and you're in the middle of establishing your career or even potentially family, um, that, that career or family could take you anywhere in New Zealand. So you may work in Auckland at the moment, but a job opportunity comes up in Christchurch and you want to move to Christchurch, if you own your own home, that decision is obviously a lot tougher. If mm. you are still renting and you own an investment property instead, that, that's not even really a decision. You, you can go to Christchurch, that investment property uh, can, be, can be looked after by a professional property manager, which I'd always recommend. Uh, and, and can take over in the background. How would you suggest that we would go about working out what the best option for us actually is, say like whether it's renting for longer or purchasing a first home or purchasing an investment property? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. It's so it's so personal and, and dependent on your situation. And, you know, we talked a lot, a lot last time about investing in shares and uh, that's the same, you know, your risk appetite will be completely different to me. And it's the same, mm. it's the same with property. And, um, my my first advice would be talk to someone, and you know I would obviously recommend a financial advisor, someone who's got their their head in the game. But it could be anyone; it could be parents, family, friends. Uh, listen to podcasts like the One Up Project, <laughs> or you know the Property Academy <laughs> podcast, or um, mm. anything like that. Any resource that you can get your eyes and ears into um, is is probably a good start. And I've found you will start to work out your own position. You will start to get a better feel for what makes you tick and with with finances. Um, you know, talking to someone else, that can be quite scary and daunting and potentially, you know, if it's a financial advisor, it will cost you something. But in the scheme of the, you know, the whole uh, impact that these decisions can have, it's probably a small, small investment and cost that you need to make. Um, I think... For someone who is tight on their weekly bills, uh, is living, I guess, pay to pay and renting, then trying to increase your income is a focus as well as building that deposit. So, you know, the easiest way to pick up your finances is to earn a bigger income. So whatever it is, whether uh, 
you're at the lower end of the income spectrum, potentially working some extra hours in a second job. If you're at the higher end, looking for more opportunities to grow that that income base because that is going to accelerate your um, deposit saving for a house. Um, and you really need to sit down. And even if you're looking at your own home, look at your goals. So where do you want to be in 10 years? Where do you want to be in 40 years? And that that's really hard at a young age to look at 65 and say, well, what do I actually want to do when I retire? It, it's almost impossible. Uh, but the earlier you start with anything, the easier it's going to be. And that includes owning your own home. If you are really wanting to be in your own home or wanting to own an investment property, basically the earlier you can do it, the better. Uh, it's not it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. Quite a common saying that the longer we're in the market, whether it's a our own home or an investment property, but most likely the better off we're going to be. Time heals all wounds, basically. Um, so, yeah, it's really dependent on your situation. But I think talking to people, listening to resources, researching, and then really just looking inward and thinking about your own goals and what you're actually wanting to achieve or what you and your partner are wanting to achieve as well. Mm, yeah, I think that's a really important point is actually making sure that the goal and the whatever you're looking at is relevant to you and what you want. I was talking about this last night on Instagram actually just about how people I think feel that there can be a one answer and then you'll know, okay, I need to get into my first home and then get an investment property or I need to invest in these funds and then mm. I'll be sweet. But yeah. it's never the one answer. Like you really do have to, first of all, before anything else, make an investment in your own education and then go forward and apply that to your situation. And, and like you said, actually work out what it is you want to, which is so important. I think a lot of people, yeah. if you ask them that, they don't even know. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like from a personal point of view, at the moment, some um, some opportunities have come up for uh, for me and, and my wife and I are in the middle of huge decisions that are potentially life-changing, um, career-based, where we want to live. Um, people quite often ask, why do you live where we live? But we live here because we love it. It's a personal choice. It's a lifestyle choice. Uh, a lot of what we do is in the place that we live. So that's why we've committed to that that choice and everyone's choices will be different and it's, it's not up even even to a degree it's not up to a financial advisor to say oh well you, you should actually do this and that might mean moving cities or that might mm. be might mean moving jobs just to achieve owning a home everyone's level of sacrifice or commitment is going to be different and I think it's really still important that you do uh what your heart and what your brain have kind of set on or where they've met in the middle that, yes, this is what I want to do and this is what we want to do. Yeah, yeah, I could not agree more, definitely. Um, and so the next thing I want to go into is leverage, which mm -hmm. is a buzzword yeah. in the property scene, I feel. Yeah. So explain to us what is leverage and how do we use it? Yeah, how long have you got? <laughs> yeah. This is a huge topic, so... Uh, so bear with me. This is what everybody, I guess, comes back to with property. So they want to know how does leverage work? How do we how do we use it? What it is what does it actually mean? So leverage is using someone else's money to purchase an asset that is greater than what you could afford. So uh, in the case of property, it's the bank's money. So we are going to provide the home as security to the bank, or effectively the value of the home. 
and then we're going to borrow against that. So we're going to leverage the value to borrow money out of it. Um, so if you look at, I guess, in the case of a first home buyer, depending on your circumstances, you may be actually able to borrow up to 95%. That is getting the chances of that getting very slim. You'd have to have very good numbers to get over the line of the bank um, having a 5% deposit. Uh, in most situations, it's going to be about 20%. So a 20% deposit. Uh, with property investment, the deposits range from 20 to 40%, like we said before. So 20% for a new build property in most cases, and 40% deposit for uh, an existing home. So if you were to buy an existing home that you intend to make an investment property, uh, you're going to need a 40% deposit from May onwards, so, so from now. Uh, so one of the solutions that we talked about before is the new build option, and that lowers your deposit. And people will say, well, why is that important? If I, I like, let's say I like this existing home, but it's a 40% deposit, why would I uh, wait six months for a new build to be built um, just for the 20% deposit? And the difference at the other end is huge because you can actually effectively buy two two homes for the price of one. If you have a 40% deposit, which might be $200,000, uh, and you're going to buy an existing home, that will that will buy you uh, whatever, and 20% will buy you. You can split that into two deposits of 20% each. You can now buy two homes. Um, so the difference there is, is huge when it comes to property investment. So I guess with leverage, it's really important to understand the LVR, so loan-to-value ratio. And so what if you have to have a 20% deposit for a new build, that's going to be an 80% LVR, 80% loan to value ratio. Are you keeping, is this sort of I'm making keeping sense? Up. Yeah. I'm keeping up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I struggle to keep up with myself. We're going to make sure everyone else is. I know. I feel like every time I've heard someone explain leverage or something, it, it's always you get halfway into it and you're like, okay, is that making sense? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess with leverage, we're sort of going into LVRs here, and the LVRs make up a big um, ability to leverage. Like obviously, recently the Reserve Bank has come out and said, for an existing home, you need forty percent deposit. It was twenty percent uh, in their COVID crisis, and the reason they did that is because if they lower the um, deposit required, or in other words make the LVRs bigger that you can do, you can leverage more. And what that did was stimulate the housing market. So the Reserve Bank and the government were really worried that house prices were just going to fall off a cliff. Uh, quite the opposite happened. It was like they were at the mm. bottom of the cliff and they climbed up the cliff. Uh, but there still is some risk in the market that that could happen or that certainly things could level off. And like I said, we don't want them to fall off a cliff. That's really bad for the New Zealand economy. The housing market is a, a trillion dollar uh, business. We we certainly don't want that to effectively be failing or, or decreasing. But we, we probably would expect to see a bit of a levelling off. So... Anyway, by reducing the deposit required, they stimulated the housing market and that's what's propped it up. So they, they were right. the failure of their own success. Now they've had to pull back on those LVRs and bring mm -hmm. them um, down. So lower loan-to-value ratios, bigger deposits to try and flatten out uh, what they actually caused. So it's, it's quite ironic that um, yeah. what they stimulated, they're now having to depress a little bit. So... How do you actually leverage? So let's say that um, you're a couple, you own your own home, and it's valued at $500,000. And so how can people find out their value? You can go to websites like One Roof Homes, 
propertyvalue.co.nz websites like that. Find, type in your address, find out your value. So let's say it's $500,000. You have a remaining mortgage of $200,000. Then you have $300,000 of basic equity. 500 minus 200, 300 equity. Equity is dead money. It's just sitting there. It's doing nothing. It's value in your home. It's, it's actually wealth in your home that has increased over time because the, the value of the house has increased. Your mortgage has gotten smaller, uh, but it's just sitting there. It's, it's dead money. It's useless as it is. One way to get it out is to, is to borrow it from the bank, and this is where leverage comes in. Our value has increased in our home, so we're going to leverage that value to extract money. Uh, so what we'd, we would do is we take that $500,000 value, we times it by 80%, if we're going to buy a new build investment property, because that's what we can borrow. We can borrow 80% of our own home's value. So we're allowed to borrow $400,000 of our home. Uh, you, so you have a remaining mortgage of two hundred. dollars We take that off. That leaves $200,000. And that is now called usable equity. That is equity that the bank is prepared to lend to us or give to us to take and go and purchase another property. So uh, what we'd, we'd do is we would take that money potentially to another bank and say, hey, uh, Toby here, $200,000 uh, deposit, I would like to purchase an investment property. So you have leveraged your own home's value to then extract that equity out because the bank is not going to let you uh, take that money out for anything other really than property. So doing a renovation on your own home, uh, putting an extra bedroom on or purchasing an investment property. So they're giving you that money, you go off and you look to purchase uh, an investment property. Right. So simple terms, leverage is basically the equity within the value of your home that you can use to purchase another. Yeah. So there's two types of equity, normal equity, which is your value minus your mortgage. And in this case, that might be $300,000, but not all of that is borrowable. You can't take mm -hmm. out all of that money. Usable equity is the equity that can be extracted because you need to leave some in your own home. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, so property property is one of the only asset classes really that you can you can do this. So, and this mm -hmm. is the benefit uh, of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and leading on from that, I guess we've sort of spoken about it, but the main benefit with being able to leverage a property or why you would want to do it is so that you can get yourself into another property and build up your assets. Yeah, exactly. You're wanting to accelerate your return. So mm. th this is the best part about investing in property. The, the simplest way I guess I can explain it is if we had, let's take the four main asset classes. So you've got cash, so money in the bank, uh, fixed interests like government bonds or let's say Air New Zealand debt bonds, you're, you're going to fund uh, that debt that, it, that that company might have. You've got shares and then property. So they're probably the four main assets in New Zealand that people invest in. And then outside of that, you've got the likes of gold, cryptocurrencies, if you would call them an investment, um, silver, <laughs> commodities, whatever it is. Um, cash at the moment is returning about 0.2%. So it's not even keeping up with uh, inflation, basically. Uh, fixed interest, so bonds, they'll, they'll range between government bonds, which are about 0.3% for a year. I think they're, they're very, very low, up to maybe 2 2.5% for companies that are putting out um, bonds. Shares, well, 
if you look back this year, you'd go, oh, I'll do shares because there's a 100% return or 200% return. But that will change as we go through this year. The, the one-year return will narrow up because the market dropped so much, you know, one year ago. Um, we've seen, you know, a lot of periods of 20% plus, but we'd, we'd expect to see over the long term about 10% for a typical uh, fund with you know, like a managed fund or KiwiSaver with shares in a high growth um, fund I'm talking about. Property, well, property at the moment is in the middle of a boom and we've seen, you know, 20% increases, but that's not normal. We generally expect to see maybe 5 or 6%. Over the last 20, 25 years, it's been um, just under 7% return over the long term. So there's a really simple way uh, to look at that. I, I usually will talk with people, let's take $100,000. Now, I'm not suggesting... Anybody, any one of us has $100,000 just lying around. Um, But if we had $100,000 and we were going to invest in one of those four options, cash is going to give us about a $200 return over one year. Uh, That's before any tax or any, any account for inflations come in. The government debt bond or company debt bond might give us $1,500. The shares, on the other hand, are going to give us about $10,000. So that's pretty good. Um, nothing to be nothing to be sniffed at. Uh, now, property. Well, if we're working off a hundred thousand dollars at a five percent return, then we would have five thousand dollars. So people go, well, why would I do property? I've got shares um, giving me ten percent, but we aren't working off a hundred thousand dollars with property uh, because we're taking that hundred thousand dollars to the bank providing a property of security and leveraging the bank's money to purchase a $500,000 property. So therefore, the property, let's say in Christchurch, goes up $25,000 in one year. That's a 5% return on the value of the property because it was $500,000. It's gone to five twenty-five. dollars uh, We've got $25,000 of capital gain. Um, that's a 5% return on 500000 But that's not actually the money that we physically put into it. We only put in $100,000. Uh, so that's actually a 25% return. So $25,000 on a 100000 is a 25% return. And, and that's the power of this beautiful thing, eighth wonder of the world called leverage. <laughs> um, and but that return isn't taking into account any profit or uh, losses from the actual running of the property, so the rent coming in, the expenses going out. But if you look at long-term wealth over you know, a long-term 10, 20, 30 years, capital gain, uh, as long as we can manage the cash flow of the property, capital gain is where wealth comes from. And, and that return, because of leverage, is completely accelerated above the other asset classes. I think it's it's good to hear like the definition of something like leverage a few times over as well in different kind of circumstances so that you can get an idea of what it is because I think you might hear it the first time and think what the hell but then you'll hear it the second third time and it starts to make more sense yeah I think um, something people can think about is uh, people will when they get their own home and have a mortgage and the interest rates are only 2.3% 2.3% or actually I saw at Heartland Bank 1.85% uh, this week Ooh. which is extremely it's just <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievably low people will uh, have this little thing in their head and I'm one of those people that go should I be paying down my mortgage aggressively or should I be investing 
in some shares through Sharesies, Hatch, um, ASB Securities, whatever it is. Why, you know, why would I pay a thousand dollars off my mortgage if I can put a thousand dollars into shares and get a ten percent return over the year, and that ten percent return beats the two percent of interest I have to pay on my mortgage? And, and that's going to come back to goals. So. Are you happy and comfortable with having a home mortgage for 20 to 30 years? Uh, I can tell you when children come along, when you're down to one income, you wish that you didn't have a big mortgage. So uh, just mm-hmm. be really careful if you're wanting to travel, you're wanting to do other things in life. A mortgage isn't going to hold you back, but it's going to make you think twice about the money mm-hmm. and where the money's going. If you, this is the way I look at it, to to sort of beat the shares, putting the money into shares instead, is every thousand dollars that you pay off your mortgage, you're building up your equity and more importantly, your usable equity. So for every thousand dollars you pay off your mortgage, you're building $800 of usable equity because at some point, if you go to the bank and ask nicely, you will be able to take that money back out take it somewhere else and do something with it, like buy an investment property or do a renovation uh, or anything basically to do with property. And so by paying down your mortgage aggressively, if you can, you and if property is the way you want to go, uh, that is a really good way to get yourself into the position to build further wealth through investment property. Cool. I guess we'll leave it there. Was there anything else that you wanted to say on that or...? No, I just, re- I guess, reiterate what I said last time is, is property is not for everyone. Obviously, um, I'm a big advocate of it and, um, you know, I've seen, the reason I'm an advocate of it is I've seen it change people's lives, whether it's getting into your own home or purchasing an investment property. Uh, I actually think the two aren't that different from each other. Uh, mm. When I talk to people about their purchasing their own first home, I actually say to them, you're an investor. And they say, no, I'm not. I'm just buying my own first home. But that that home is going to be probably the biggest asset that you ever own. And later on, when you retire, the money in 40 years, the money that you have will not be as worth as much as it is today because of inflation. It's effectively eating away slowly at your money. So you need an asset that is beating inflation. inflation. And property and shares are two of those assets. So by having that property, holding onto it, let's say you bought it at 30 years old, you retire at 60, by holding onto that that home, even if it's just your own home for 30 years, your wealth has built up and you can then sell that home, downsize, or you might look at a retirement village, or more importantly, you might need care. So you might need full-time care in a, a care home. You have to fund that somehow. And government super at the moment is about $22,000, uh, you know, that that may keep up with inflation. It may not even be there in 30 years' time. So it's really harsh, but good luck funding uh, care or funding a retirement home in 30 years' time if you don't have that asset, at least, you know, your own home. Uh, so mm-hmm. I actually see people who own their own home as an investor already. And mm-hmm. just that word can put a lot of people off. No, no, I'm not an investor. Like we said last time, if you have a KiwiSaver, you're an investor. Um, so... Property is a vessel towards wealth. So are shares, so are other investment products. But because, basically because of leverage, uh, property in New Zealand certainly is one of the best vessels towards um, total wealth in in life over the long term. If you're prepared to go with the 
I think last time we called it a merry-go-round with the small ups and downs. Uh, and then, you know, once you're established in property, um, you, you have shares and everything on the side, or you might be the other way around. It doesn't really matter as long as mm. you're doing something. That's the key to yeah. investing. Yeah, that's it. Eh? Just getting started. Cool. Thank you so much, Toby, for your time. It's so appreciated and can't wait for everyone to hear this episode. So thanks so much. <laughs> no worries. Thanks, Sarah. Disclaimer time. So... The One Up Project is an educational platform providing information that is general in nature and has no intention of being financial advice. There may be opinions or an individual's experience within this resource that should not be considered as recommendations or personal advice. Everyone's financial situation is so different and you must use the information provided within the podcast at your own risk. Please complete your own due diligence before making any financial decisions based on the information within this resource. I'm not a qualified, registered or authorised financial advisor and if you require legal, financial or other expert advice, you should seek assistance from a professional advisor. Thanks guys. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. I really hope you were able to take something valuable away. Um, Be sure to subscribe and keep up with the socials for further episodes at The One Up Project, and I'll catch you on the next one.